This is Bees Pod and this is High Five. Hi, this is Mo again. We've got Trevor back again with his interview with Barnet legend Giuliano Grazioli. Right, Giuliano, thank you very much this afternoon for uh, sitting down um, with me. Um, a lot of people don't know we did try to get together with him before Christmas um, on two or three occasions, but we couldn't quite make the um, make time fit. Um, and uh, obviously with this great, wonderful lockdown, we're all still partially stuck in. We can sit down and have a video chat instead, which is uh, probably more beneficial because everyone else can have a watch as well. So thank you very much for giving up your time this afternoon. No problem, thank you. Um, obviously, uh, the usual format for everyone that's watched it before, uh, we'll have a chat with Gratz and go through his career right from the word go right up to the to present day. Um, we've obviously got the added bonus of the unofficial support awards, awards as well that Gratz will announce probably more towards the end. Um, we're obviously going to have a chat as I put on Twitter and Facebook last night about men's mental health, which is something that Gratz wanted to bring up, which I think is a fantastic topic to be talking about at the moment. It's very, um, very much in the news. A lot of people can resonate with it, I think, as well. Um, and I think it'll make for a great extra, a great extra sideline to what we would normally talk about. I think as well. Um, obviously, we've got all the usual questions. A um, few ex-teammates of Gratz's have added a few as well. Um, there's a few uh, few interesting ones that people come up with this time, actually, which is nice. It's not just all football related. Um, so yeah, well, you know, this, this is going to be a, a good afternoon, I think. Um, so right, we'll we'll kick off then. Um, 1995, you started off at Wembley. Um, what led you to there? I was, um, from the age of 11 to 16, I was playing for a very successful Sunday side called Chapel Market, uh, Islington base. We used to win the London Cup most years. Um, and a lot of the players went on to do apprenticeships at Arsenal, Chelsea, Cambridge United. Um, and I was one of those late developers, some might say, uh, especially though that I never really developed and still stay quiet. So I'll get that in before he, he writes anything. Um, <laughs> And they, all, they went on to pro clubs, uh, and I didn't. Um, uh, one of the ladies at my dad's work, she was a, a sort of a, a board member at Wembley Football Club. Yeah. Um, there's an under-17 side starting up next year. You know, there's Giuliano fancy playing. So I went along and played, and, and I think I scored about 60-odd goals for them that season. Um, and then got drafted into like the under-18s and then the reserve side pretty yeah. early on. Um, and then from there, I made my way into the first team uh, and learnt my trade. You know, I'm, I'm a, an advocate for non-league football. I believe that players develop quicker in non-league football than they would in any academy, if I'm, if I'm honest. Yeah. Just because it teaches the game a lot quicker. It's ruthless. There's pressure on you from minute one. Uh, and when you're young, you know, you're used to, in academy football, tippy-tappy football, Whereas non-league is hustle and bustle, uh, and I was, I was playing up against big centre-halves who kicked me off the pitch for, for 90 minutes. So that taught me a lot in, that, in those original games. So um, I owe a lot to Wembley Football Club and, and those players in that squad at the time who taught me to position my body in certain ways, receive the ball differently. Yeah. Uh, and I, I owe a lot. So, yeah. Do you sort of think as well, Coming to sort of like today's football, where these academy kids they don't get a lot of football, they don't tend to. A lot of them go out, have started to go out on loan to to the championship clubs and, and below. Um, do you sort of think that it's you know very beneficial that they all get out somewhere just so they can learn a little bit more about the game? I, I, I tell you what it is. Um, 
you know, they're, they're taught a certain way in these academies. And, and yeah. yes, it's fantastic coaching they receive. But match days is totally different to training. Totally different. You could have the best trainers, and I've paid with many who are really good trainers, but come on, come on Saturday, they just never turned up. Um, and when I delved into sort of the management side, we we, uh, we signed players who were great in academy football. Yeah. Um, but we soon noticed pretty quickly that when it comes to match days on a Saturday, away at Hereford on a Tuesday night, that, you know, they weren't ready. And this is where going out on loan, you, it's that three o'clock. I mean, as you know, I do a bit of football agency uh, as a bit of a sideline. And if you're not playing on a Saturday afternoon, you're not a footballer. You know, Saturday afternoon at three o'clock is where it matters. Whether that's Premiership, League One, League Two, Conference, right down to Ryman Prem or whatever it is now, Southern whatever it is. Um, that's football. You're learning so much more at three o'clock. The pressure, especially set of forwards, you know, the pressure of missing those chances, making the right runs, you know, one man and his dog behind the goal giving you abuse. You know, they're all the things that you need to learn because when you get to the bigger stage, you know, those, those crowds get louder. Um, and if, if you can't handle it, then you're never going to succeed. So I'm a real advocate for going out on loan and playing football for Saturday. And were you quite aware that there were football league scouts coming to watch games at Wembley, in particular you or some of the other players as well? Yeah, this, uh, I remember seeing Graham Ricks there a few times. Mm-hmm. Chelsea, yeah. uh, Trevor, Trevor Francis, he was at QPR at the time. There was a few scouts. I got told there was a lot of scouts. Uh, but I remember seeing uh, John Steele a few times at the game. Remember, this is Wembley Football Club, so there's only about 30 people there. So you seem to notice who, uh, yeah. who was there with the big overcoat of the clubs. Um, I was, I was 17, 18, scoring lots of goals at that level. Um, and to be fair, the club kept away from me. They were really good like that. They just let me concentrate on my football. There was no agents around at the time. Um, so I didn't really hear too much about it. But you recognise the faces. I'm an Arsenal fan. So seeing Graham Ricks, mm-hmm. you, uh, you sort of, sort of realised pretty quickly. Um, and then, again, I scored lots of goals. And I had a phone call regarding uh, from John Steele from Peter United to say, you know, we want you to be, um, come with us, to sign with us. Uh, and I was delighted. You know, it's a kid's dream. I remember driving back, um, I don't know where I was at the time, coming back from university, um, and they got the phone call. And I remember that hour drive back was just amazing. You know, just your, your dream as a boy, as a, as a youngster playing in that successful Sunday side where they all were not made all these clubs. I was one of about three or four that didn't. Um, but I kept working hard, um, Listen, I wasn't a great footballer. Even back then, I wasn't. You know, I never played that much or sub. But I just had a knack at scoring goals. But to actually feel that I'm going to be a professional, um, I feel a sense of pride because I worked very, very hard. Um, and then, unfortunately, about two weeks later, um, well, firstly, the story with John Steele. Remember, he put a contract in front of me, and it was very little, as yeah. you can imagine. Yeah. Uh, and I remember thinking, oh, is, is, that, is that all? You know, I was only more when I was working in Sainsbury's at the time. Um, <laughs> I remember you telling me, he said, you got, I think it was £200 a week professional footballer or £200 a week a non-professional footballer. Which one of it? And it was just as simple as that. And I remember going, you know what, I want it, I want to give it a go. Um, and then literally about a week or two later, I received a letter through the post from the FA to say, um, I'm, uh, doing call um, for a uh, FA hearing regarding a uh, legal approach and a breach of your contract. 
Again, no agent. What are you talking about? Contract. I've never been on a contract. Mm. Uh, apparently, documents are signed. Um, there was an option on the contract. Uh, but thankfully, um, to engage the uh, to re-engage the, the option year, you have to receive a letter by a certain date in May. Yeah. And I never never received it. So, but well, that took six months. You know, wouldn't have to play anywhere. Wouldn't have to train anywhere. So from having that dream of being professional to all of a sudden squashed and you know you, you think this is this is it you know it's not going to happen again but thankfully John Steele uh, and Peter United stacked by me it was quite easy for them to say no we're not going to bother now um, but they stacked by it we, they got away with the legal approach and thankfully I got the the okay to resume training so that was in the October so from the May right through to the October there was no sort of activity going on and I signed at the week's training with John Steele, uh, and then he resigned, which was great time. <laughs> and then of course, after loved, sorry, go on. I love John. He was, you know, even in, in that first week, you know, his attention to detail, with set pieces, and he, he was old school, but knew exactly what he wanted from his players. Um, yeah, and that was that was week one, finished. You know, straight away, you think your dreams coming to an end again. Uh, and the following Monday, what? dragged into the manager's office, the caretaker manager, and was told I was going to yoga on a uh, And again, I didn't know much about football. I just, I just thought you had to accept any loan deal. You know, I just thought I had to go. If they told me to go, I need to go. I didn't know where yoga was at the time. Uh, so I ended up going on, on loan to yoga for three months, which was one of the best loan moves I had. Yeah, I've got that down here as well. I think, um, yeah, great, great goal scoring records actually in the three loan spells you had away from, from the club in that point as well. Um, but, um, I think had a, well, but Peterborough, you had almost one in two ratio of scoring. I think it was something like one in one in three at Yeovil as well. Something like I that. scored 17 in 13 at Yeovil. I had more yeah, goals in uh, the Even better than that. I, um, that year at Yeovil, I managed with Graham Roberts. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Absolute legend. He was still playing centre-half at the time. And I've never seen referees so scared to book a centre half. Um, he, he was he was great even back then. You know he, he wasn't as fit as he could have been, but he read the game so well. We intimidated to the forwards. Um, it was a great great time. Long way to go. You know, long way to go, but a fantastic club. And it went so well that I got dragged back to Peterborough because there was rumours that clubs were looking at me. So I got taken back pretty quickly. To only to be sent back on loan to Enfield, like literally after three weeks, to get more football in. Because I couldn't break into the first team, you see. I was still a, an unknown. I come from non-league football. Yeah. Um, you know, it was, it was hard to break into the pro game at the time. Um, you know, experienced pros were there. So I went back on loan again, and I've always enjoyed my loan moves. You know, I had a great time. Again, like I said, you'd be playing on a Saturday afternoon. Uh, I think I spent too much of my time at certain clubs where I didn't play enough, and I should have gone out with just going back to that time at Peterborough, obviously, where you couldn't train with the first team and everything. Um, how did the club look after you in that time? Did they set you up with the sort of a training regime you could do on your own? No, no, it was I wasn't having any contact. We had a phone call from John every so often, just to see how I was um, mentally back then. Yeah, but I wasn't allowed to register with anybody. It was really up to me to go and do some fitness. Um, I couldn't be seen at any sort of club because. I might have been under breach because I was still under breach of contract. Yeah. Clubs were reluctant to even sign me on loan just in case they, uh, they got in trouble. So it was a difficult time, uh, and which is why I went out on loan when I first signed because fitness levels went up to 
it should be as a, as a professional. Uh, I needed some game time. Six months is a long time out. Um, yeah, but as I said, it ended up being a really successful loan move for me. And then, um, obviously, at Peterborough, you end up playing under Barry Fry. Um, obviously, very well known for Barnet fans, um, and a completely different character to John Still. You couldn't get, I don't think, much further worlds apart between the pair of them. Um, how did that sort of differ? L l training, learning under Barry, compared to obviously what you know that first week under John. Be fair to Barry. Barry never admits to being a good coach. Barry isn't a coach. Uh, Barry always brought in his, his, you know, his coaches with him. Yeah. Yeah, Barry wasn't there putting sessions on. I think Barry's session was like, run around that tree, run around that tree. 20 seconds, it was one of them. And if you ever come out in the training field with his cap on, uh, you knew he was taking a session and you knew he was running. So that, you right. know, you knew. Yeah. So, um, but Barry was, uh, I loved it. I remember after the first week of pre-season, uh, we must have had about 50 trialists. He knew everybody's name. I mean, every trialist name he knew, yeah. and not the people that he inherited. So he'd be like, because at the time it was like Derek Payne, Mick Bodley, all the old Barnet yeah, boys. Yeah, the boys yeah. Yeah. So he was like, well done, Payne, well done, Bodge. Uh, and I'd run past that number 12. Well done, number 12. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't know who he was, but he knew his, his, his mates, you know. So yeah. uh, that was the first bit I remember from him. And he just brings. A buzz to any sort of club, you know. Peter Reynight always sort of become, you know, press for there all the time. Any sort of in interview that he'd done, it was always on TV. So he highlighted the football club quite a lot. Uh, I think he became chairman as well at the time. Yes, he did. Yeah, yeah. Like a big ten-year contract, with an, uh, you know, if he got sacked, he got X amount of money. So he never got sacked at all, even when uh, the new chairman came in. But great times. He was as honest as they come, Barry. You know. People laugh at him and it's a bit of a joke on TV, but he loved his football. You know, he loved winning. Um, and a, a story I'd like to, to mention about Barry that a lot of people don't associate with him. I um, I went to uh, Woking on loan for, yeah. while I was at Peterborough. Uh, done really well and there was an offer to buy me. And I wanted to join. I, I liked it. Um, I think it was about 80 grand. I think it was quite a bit of money at the time in non-league football. And Barry sort of said, listen, you're not going to get in my first team. Great offer for you. You know, they're going to pay you decent wages. And uh, I was ready to go. And then one Tuesday morning, I got a phone call from Barry to say, there's a game tonight at Cambridge United Reserves, it was. Mm -hmm. uh, the board will want to watch you one more time. There's a few board members coming down. They want to watch you one more time. I'm like, really? I've got to play in that? I thought the deal was done. I've just scored six goals in four games. Surely that's yeah. sort of enough said. So no, just one more game, seriously. It's all been agreed, but they want to have one look, one more look. And uh, I broke my foot after 12 minutes. Um, and I was out 14 months. But during that period, you know, Barry pulled me into his office. And bearing in mind, I got told by the surgeon that if the operation I had doesn't work, then my career's over. Right. And I remember during that time, he pulled me into his office and he offered me a new two-year deal and doubled my money. Because he said he should never have played in that game. It was my fault. I should have been stronger. No. Managers won't do that now. No. You know, he was in the, in the bad place. He, he just gave me peace of mind to say, you know, don't worry about rushing back, back too quickly. You've got two years after this year. You know, you've got to give you more money. I still, I think you're still a great player. I think you're going to score goals. And, you know, you don't hear that about Barry Fry. People see him as this madman on TV, laughing and joking, but he had a sincere side. And I'll never forget that gesture. 
And obviously, you still being quite a, a young strike at the time as well. For someone to have that faith in you, um, having not really seen you play as well, must have been quite good for the confidence. Yeah, I, it's, it's, it's exactly what I needed at that time. Like I said, I may never have come back. Mm. Uh, you know, I was, I was still in rehab. I was still, you know, recovering from that from surgery. Um, and he just, yeah, like I said, just peace of mind to really work hard. You know, not rush back. If I had a day where it was hurting, you know, I could take that time off. I, never, I didn't have to rush back to earn a new deal. Um, and I, you know, I, I forever held him thankful for that what he done during that time for me. And well, I've got to, I'm going to break to one of the questions here because there's one from Nine Steam, which is actually um, uh, a bit a bit from being at Peterborough. Did Barry sort of show any extra motivation when he was preparing for games against any of his old clubs? You know what, you don't really need to motivate players when you're playing against these old clubs. You knew you do it for your manager and yourselves anyway. Um, but also, if, you, like, if you're playing like your, West, your South Ends and the Barnets, you know, of course you do. Even, even as a player, you're playing against your, your old teammates and you run that little bit faster, you, that tackle's a little bit harder. Um, but no, listen, he, every, you know what Barry's like. Every, every game, the game of football for him, whether it was against his old team or not, he motivated you before you went out and he told you in no uncertain terms if it wasn't good enough yeah. or you were brilliant look I said he, he'd either tell you you won't score a goal as long as, as long as you've got a hole in your backside or you go to Tottenham you know it was, it was either that way with him you went on a good spell with him he'd look to tell you you know if you had a bad game then you knew I mean I was, I was in change rooms where I saw grown players crying um, and I've been you know there'd be a few of us at the back Behind Barry, like chuckling with our shoulders, laughing, yeah. uh, and turn around, and you, you'd have to really, you know, make out you concentrating. But it was some of the some of the team talks were fantastic. Well, some of the yeah. training sessions we had with him were, you know, great times. Stories that you you'll never forget. Never forget. Of course, unfortunately, we've got to mention the Barnet one Peterborough nine game. Um, we can't can't get away from that. Um, Obviously, I had a quick look at the highlights again during the week. Someone posted them up uh, on one of the Barney message boards. Um, and um, was that just one of those days where everything came together and it just didn't happen for Barnet? Um, it's, you know what? It was a strange, strange week because uh, some Barnet fans know, my close fans, my friends and family know. You know, I used to come and watch Barnet a few times. I went to school in Barnet. Um, if anything, I knew the Barnet boys better than I did my own teammates. Mm. Um, because there was like lots of Billy Manuel, Mark Basham, Scott McLeish, uh, Lee Harris and Greg Hill. You know, I knew these as friends before. I spent a few summers in Iron Apple with some of the Barnet boys. So leading up to that game, yeah, there's a little bit of tension, a little bit of nerves anyway, because A, I'm going back home. You know, my, my family and friends are going to be there. School teachers knew I was coming back to home and, and going to be there but at the time I wasn't I wasn't due to play uh, you know I was I was on the bench and I remember Barry was uh, would always take the warm-ups in the mornings and you'd run around the pitch and stretch yeah. in the corner and run around the corner and have a stretch like you do and every now and then he would call your name out and it meant that you're going on loan somewhere or you've been sold and it happened every week with Barry you know there was always something going on and that, that eventful day, it was like, rats, rats. You know, here we go. So you start jogging towards him. In your head, you're thinking, who could it be? This could be Abridge Swift's, you know, could, could yeah. be anybody. You just 
no, just be prepared for the club is going to tell you. And he went, Grats, I've agreed the deal. Uh, you're going to buy it. I've heard that, yeah. He's, he said, yeah, uh, still, he, still he's coming in, he likes you. I said, right. He said, but I've got a problem. You've got to play for me on Saturday. I said, but we're playing Barnet. How the hell can, how's that going to work? I said, if I was to play bad in front of the fans and all of a sudden they've announced me as a signing on Monday, it's not going to look great. So, no, it's all been agreed. Don't worry. All sorted. I said, but you've got to play for me Saturday. You and Jimmy up front, Jimmy Quinn at the time. And Mike Crothers was injured. So, you know, and it was my first start of the season, Peterborough. And then obviously, I remember turning up at the ground really early. The first person I saw was Greg Hill. Uh, and he said, Are you starting? I went, Yeah. Are you all right? I went, No. I was really nervous, really, really nervous. And he, I remember him saying to me, Seriously, enjoy it. Don't worry about it. Just enjoy it. Great. And then I remember seeing him after the game with, Oh my God, what have you done? <laughs> um, but yeah, that was one of them days where, you know, I was running past in a half, so I'm not done that in 25 years. You know, how slow was he? Um, for me to run yeah. past him from the afternoon. I don't think Mickey um, Harlow had one of his better games. Um, Mike Basham spent more time on his backside than he did standing up, and Nicky Russ didn't cover himself with glory. Yeah, and uh, and, and let me know, I was hitting things from 30 yards and things like that, and they were going in. So it was just one of them days, and it was just nice because there was a lot of people there that I knew, family and friends in the stands. And they were in a the old community stand, if you remember, yeah. Underhill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The terrace. Um, and I remember scoring my hat trick goal and running towards them. Yes, yeah. And I'm jumping up and I'm thinking, what am I doing? You know, this is Barnet. This is still Barnet. And my family jumping up. Um, it was just the elation. It was my first ever league hat trick. Um, and to do it in your first start that season for Peterborough in front of your family and friends, it, it couldn't have happened uh, a nicer place. Although, obviously, I had a lot of friends and family. And obviously, John Steele was the manager, so I felt a little bit guilty. Um, but at the time, we don't even think about that. No. You know, it's uh, one of those magical days that uh, will long uh, live in my memory. And then, obviously, you went and had a loan spell with uh, uh, them up the road, as we call them, Stevenage. Um, but obviously, that was that was probably the time that really brought your name into the spotlight with that FA Cup tie against um, Newcastle. Um, and obviously, your first encounter with Paul Fairclough, which obviously we'll come to again later on. Um, yeah. What did you see actually in Paul ahead of those years once you got once he came to Barnet in 2003? What did I see in Paul? Some of the, some of the friends that have listened to this will know what the first thing I saw, but we won't go into that detail. Um, he, he was, uh, he spoke very well. He, his attention to detail was unbelievable, even at that level. Yeah. Uh, I, remember, I remember playing against Stephen when I was at Wembley. And I remember he used to do team talk. He used to, do, he used to talk to the fans before the game, before kickoff. Right, yeah. And, thanks to, and I thought, who's this fellow here? Like, I've never seen that in the game. So I knew who, sort of who he was. And rooms that he's a school teacher. He'd done really well, won loads of leagues. So I remember meeting him in uh, training sessions. He was just, he knew what he wanted. He had a certain way of playing. But he, he was already looking into the psychological side of the game. Even back then, in like 1998, yeah, yeah. Our sessions leading up to the Newcastle game were very classroom based, which you know I noticed again when we went when he's come to, to Barnet. But I, I really uh, that really helped me as a player. I think a lot of players use that now. Um, 
probably some of the old school players look at it and think, you know, what's all that going? But your, your mind's such a powerful thing, which we'll go on to talk about in yeah. later on. But uh, it really helped, and he, he got us really relaxed before the big game. Uh, sort of released all our fears and our worries, uh, and that's the first thing I noticed. And you know, the fitness level really were picked up leading up to the game as well in, in training sessions because he knew we were part time at, at, at the time. Not like now, some of the non-league sides having great cup runs at the full time. So fitness is never really a problem. But yeah. for us, you know, people have full-time jobs and turn up on a Tuesday and Thursday night, half past seven at night, train. So Paul had to, to you know, work that out as well. There was always food laid on after training, yeah. which I've never seen, I had never seen it come before. He was really methodical in his, in his, in his methods and, and, and what he wanted in his approach to games. Um, and, you know, he really evolved over the years when he, when he, when he arrived at, at Barnet. Okay. And while we're there, another question, which uh, uh, Nineteen came up with as well. Um, obviously, around around with that game was all the hype about Newcastle not wanting to play at Broadhall Way and wanting it changed into um, St James's Park. As players, did that motivate you more to have a point to prove against the, the Premier League side? Uh, firstly, we were gutted. We wanted the game at St James's Park. Right. As a player, we're like, what's he doing? What's the chairman? He's the green, the chairman at that time. Yeah. Like, what's he doing? The one chance to play you know, at a big stadium. And we got a player, Stevenage. He's, you know, he's killing us. Um, but he was adamant he wanted it played at the ground. Yeah. Uh, he had a temporary stand put up behind the goal. Um, and the week leading to the most manic time of my football career I've ever, I've ever known. You know, we, uh, some of the uh, approaches I had from people, um, some of the requests, you know, from all over the world. From all over the world. Not just local press. It was all over the world. And because Newcastle caused such a stir yeah. in, in the media, we had, we had everybody, probably apart from Barnett fans, you know, everyone wanted Stevens to win. You know, the whole, we felt the whole country was behind us. Yeah. So we went into the game with no fear whatsoever. You know, there was the, the common fear that we'll get smashed eight or nine nil. And but Paul done so well in leading up to the game, saying, so who cares if you do? You're the Premiership side. We're non-league. We train twice a week. They're meant to be us 9-0 it doesn't matter so we really did go into the game just to enjoy it um, so yeah we, we were read that we could really see Newcastle players hated us really did hate yeah. us you know Kenny didn't, obviously he, he speaks quite um, I know you can't really understand him after That's time awfully, but yeah. he, he uh, you could see there was no no love lost between anybody even on the pitch um, I think the only one who spoke it was Pistoni, Pistone, the left yeah, back. Yeah, That's only Pistone, yeah. Italian. It's only because he's a fellow Italian, I yeah, think. And he yeah. didn't understand the, the FA Cup, probably. It's just another game for him. But you could really see the others like Batty, Shearer, um, Pierce. Yeah, they, 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 they hated us. They, they really did. Because the press leading up to it stirred it even more. Mm. You know, um, which is great for us. You know, I was, I was on the back page of every newspaper. You know, my poor granddad went mad one time because I, I was in the Sunday sport at the time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he, he was just, he, he remembered saying, what are you doing? You know, my mum was disgusted. My dad on the other hand, I think he still got the paper. Um, <laughs> just the back page. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it was, it was just a mad, mad, mad time. Um, and the game itself was just brilliant. You know, going to go down after about a minute, not even that. I don't very think. early, yeah, very early. But we didn't, we 
it was I think it was Shearer's first game back after the Yeah, that's like right. Yeah. Um, and I remember we just looked at each other, just shrugged our shoulders, and man, we carried on We we outplayed in the first half. We played well. Um, second half was a bit of a was a bit of a battle, but it was a pitch was a leveler, the weather was a leveler. Yeah. And the Green, the chairman at the time, who made that decision to play at Steve Mitch was turned out to be the right one. Just breaking away slightly for a minute, you've had an offer to um, uh, join the Barnet walking walking football team over the 50s as a centre forward. So, um, you know, there's an offer for you already, and we've only been going yeah. 28 minutes. I've watched, I've watched them train last year a few times. Too quick yeah. for me. <laughs> Too quick for me. <laughs> and then, obviously, following on from the equalising goal in that, what was it like dealing with all the media attention afterwards? Uh, how was it? I loved every minute of it. Yeah. It was, uh, you know what, there's one bit, one element that I didn't like was because I, I literally just signed for Stevenage. Yeah. And it was only on loan as well at the time. And I remember when you're new to a football club, you sit in the corner out of the way, you don't get involved too much until you're asked, you know, yeah. you've earned your sort of right. And obviously, that was one of the first games I played and all of a sudden all the hype is on me. So you felt a little bit like every request was, can you speak to Gratz? Can you speak to Gratz? And there's you know, 14 other players in that squad, 14 other players in that squad who still contributed far more than I did. You know, I just I was a, I was on the end of a corner that scored the goal. But you know, Mark Smith, the goal, everybody played their part that day. But the requests were always for me, you know, like picking Miss Miss Stevenage and things like that. <laughs> that was, that was, Miss that was a difficult. That was a difficult night. That was a, a right chore. That was. Um, <laughs> Opening, just opening school face, just you know. I mean, I even got sponsored by Mercedes for the year. Nice. You know, after the first game, we had, we had a meet after the first game, we had a media day where Paul got all the media in. This is it, you've got three or four hours, go and speak to whoever you like. Uh, and I remember a fella just gave me his card, I'm still sprint, I'm still friends with him now. Gave me his card, he looked at me, Italian, Italian name. I thought he just wants to chat. It was Mercedes, and when I rang him. He said, I'm opening a new new showroom up in Hitchin, not far from Stevenage. Yeah. He said, would you open it for me? I said, yeah, of course. And he went, how much How much do you want? I went, nothing. I'll, I'll do it to open it. I was like, you don't want no money? He went, no. All right, I thought I've got to pay you money. Went, no, I don't. I did that again. No agent, nothing like that. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. You do it. He went, all oh, right, okay. Next thing you know, he said, right, because you, you didn't ask for no money, I'm going to give you a, a Mercedes car. Friday afternoon till Monday afternoon, every weekend for the, for the whole year. Yeah. And stuck to his word every Friday afternoon outside my house, Mercedes would pull up. And that was my car for the weekend. And I'd have SLAs, SLKs, CLKs. Unbelievable. It was just crazy. Um, but then it could get too much. You know, you, we still had to play football. And, you know, with the nightlife increased more, we you know we went out quite a lot as a team. Um, but listen, you know, it was your 50 minutes of fame. I think we all uh, we all milked it a bit, and me probably a lot more than someone else. <laughs> and obviously, you got injured and missed, missed the replay. Um, how gutting was that not being actually able to step out from James's part? I think, I think what was gutting, we played Gateshead the week before in the FA Trophy. Yeah. And we went one-on-one with the keeper. And like you do, you, know, you see the goal. And I went for it, and he, he went over the top and, and done me. And I remember being stretched off, going under the, through the tunnel. And 
the fans spitting on me. Gateshead fans spitting on me. Because obviously Gateshead Newcastle was not far at all. So yep. I thought he was a um, and I thought, God, you know, it really did start then. And then um, I had a really deep hematoma, and it just wouldn't, it just wouldn't heal in time. Uh, I, I nearly got there. I think another couple of days would have been fine. But a big game like that, uh, it was a great. So you mean to play against Newcastle? You need eleven fit men on the pitch, yeah. and there's no way I would have been fit. And it gave an opportunity to one another set of forwards. And again, it was a great night. We, you know, travel all out there. Fantastic night, and yeah, we got beat, but it was the end. It was the FA Cup. We, we enjoyed it. Excellent. I want to chuck one out here because someone's asked a very good question, David Mercado. Have any other Barnet players played under a free title winning managers like Gratz? Put Hendo also, I think, but I think you probably are. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. You must be because yeah, obviously, yeah. Um, yeah, I can't think of. Ah, no one else has. So, there you go. Yeah, there's a bit of trivia for you of an afternoon as well. See, you turn up, you learn everything. Sorry? I don't think there is another no. player. No, because obviously they would have had to have played under Barry. So, and a lot of those players. Uh, well, you go through about 5,000 players, though. So well, 5,000 players, 5,000 clubs, um, you know, yeah. 50 million trialists. Um, that's yeah. Barry's way of doing things, isn't it? Yeah. Um, right, obviously, um, after that, trips west to Swindon, Bristol Rovers, once again under John Steele. Um, obviously, you know, John pretty instrumental again in getting you to go down to the West Country. Yeah, he was. Um, my three years at Swindon was coming to an end. Uh, I remember I was told, you know, I wasn't going to get a new, new deal. But then on the, on the Monday morning, I got a phone from Ray Graydon, who was the manager of Bristol Rovers at the time. Yeah. And I remember he called me and said, Gratz, you know, I want you to come and speak to me. Can you come and see me tomorrow? When you're okay. So I dressed smart, you know, not overly smart, but smart enough. And I remember yeah. pulling into drive and pulling into the meeting room. And John was sat there. I didn't know John was even there at the time. John was sat next to Ray. Yeah. And I remember Ray's first words were, make me a cup of tea. Pardon? <laughs> yeah, make me a cup of tea. And I remember looking at John. I used to say, is this a test? Do I do it? You know. Yeah. And John just gave me a shrug. He should to say, I don't know what he means. Uh, make me a cup of tea. Stern face. Yeah, yeah all right. Yeah, good one. No, make me a tea. So I made the tea. And he said, this geezer's not right in the head. You know. Yeah. So <laughs> I signed for two years like you do. Me, silly boy. Um, and... Yeah, John was instrumental at the time. He pulled me to one side to say, you know, we need goal scorers here. You know, it's a big club. And it's a massive club. It's a big, big club. Um, but it was the worst time of my, my career. Hated football. The one time in my life I hated football. And I signed for two years, but after the first year, I was ready to quit. I was ready to go back to university to finish my degree. It was a real, real tough time. Um, yeah, just hated every minute of it. Could not stand it. Was that just because of the, was that just because of the style of football where you were? And it wasn't the family. It, it wasn't the teammates. It wasn't the club. They were great. Just yeah, I see the best in people. I will try and see the best in people. But he's one manager that I never got on with. Never ever got on with. Uh, we had a big fall. And, and teammates will tell you, oh, I wouldn't argue with managers after time. I'd be annoyed, but I very rarely answered back or, or or said anything derogatory to them. 
but he really brought me to a point where he knew I was from London, uh, never allowed to go back home in seven days a week. Yeah. Uh, he played, you were in, um, and he just tripped, he wanted me out quite early. There was, there was a moment, oh, I think I was top goal scorer that year, the first year at Bristol Rovers. Mm. Uh, and I only paid sort of up to Christmas. And I got taken off after 60 minutes one game. And the fans started booing the manager and, 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 and saying, you don't know what you're doing. And that was it. I never played again. And I remember that Monday morning, he, sorry, that, that Saturday afternoon, the change room went, I won't listen to the fans. I'll make the decisions. I remember saying, I'm not asking to sing the song. I'm not orchestrating the song. You know, it's, yeah. it was their view. Don't bring that me into it. And he held that against and I very rarely played after that. And he treated me so, so poorly. Um, I, I hated every every minute of that time. Uh, even though John was there, great teammates. And that sort of kept me probably sustained, I'd say. Yeah. That the fans were really good and the players, teammates were good. But he really got to me mentally. And I thought I was mentally strong. He, he broke me. You know, I've never thrown a boot at a manager. You know, I took my boot off and launched the boot. I, people, people know me, know I'm not that sort of nature. Yeah. That's where he drove me to. He drove me to that point where, you know, I was happy to get fined. Um, I just hated football. I just hated, hated football. Just didn't enjoy my time at all. And then came the move, which probably um, ignited your career. Um, obviously, having spoken to, to to Martin, Bristol Rovers were keen to sign. Junior Gogo, um, and uh, John was very keen to send you Martin's way as well, wasn't he? Yeah, we. I remember I was in um, on a holiday with my my wife. My wife now we were just seeing each other on holiday, and I was in the pool. She shouted out that my phone was ringing. Yeah, I remember coming at the pool because obviously you, you rush quick to get your phone when it's left on the side. Of course you do. Um, and uh, Martin, it was Martin. Left me a voice message, you know, Gratz, give me a call, Martin Allen, rang him, and it was just simple, Martin, uh, Gratz, you know, I want you to come to Barnet, I want you to enjoy your football again, uh, tell me what's going on, and I told him, he said, uh, when you get back from holiday, come and see me straight away, and I, I remember seeing him, uh, he said, oh, I want to sign you, he said, but obviously, they want Junior, you know, yeah. or Junior, rest in peace, um, mm-hmm. But you know you're on you're on big money at Bristol Rovers, and what I'm going to offer you is nowhere near. I remember saying to Martin, "It's not really about the money. I just hate football." He said, "Well, you know what I want you to do is to get as much out of Bristol as you can, because I won't give them junior unless I know you're ready to come." Yeah. So you're over years' money. See how much you can get from them, and I promise you now they're not getting junior until I get you. You know, so bit of peace of mind, let them do whatever they want. They want him bad. They've agreed deals, they've agreed everything already. It's just you you're you're the sticking bot at the minute. Um but I'm ready to wait for you. You're gonna be my signing. I'm signing Ian Enden, I'm signing Chris Thummer, I need you as my centre forward. So you get as much as you can for Chris Rhodes. And that was classy of the of, of Martin. Um and I held out a little bit and they kept off me bits of money to leave and then he got to the point where I thought, you know what, I the more I'm waiting, I want to get ready, I want to join, I want to start. Yeah. Um, that was the best thing I've ever done. The best move in, in my football career. Although non-league competing was great, but just what happened and how it happened was just 
you know, fantastic for you. Yeah, because I, I can remember the wait as well. Um, I remember the last pre-season friendly we played, um, which was away at Carshalton, um, which was probably, I think, a very reserved team. And obviously yourself had 45 minutes, literally, wasn't it, just to build up the match fitness because it dragged on so long before the season started. Yeah, it was a... Uh, it was great. I'll tell you what, people moan about Martin and, you know, the mad dog and the, the methods he's got. See what he made me love football like you wouldn't believe. He made me feel so good as a player that no manager's ever got me yet to that point. You know, I was going into games thinking I'm the best player in the league by a mile. Only because Martin kept telling me that throughout the week in training, before games, after games, in training sessions, he'll tell people what to do, I want you to do this, run them, and he'd look at me and go, Grats, you just do what you do. You know. But he just filled me with so much confidence. You know, it, it, unbelievable. I owe him that man so much for what he because I said I was in I was in a bad place. I was in a bad place at the time. And he we I think it was myself, Endo and Chris Cummer, and Danny Maddox. I think he yeah. signed us at the club, but gave us the option just to train I think three days a week, maybe two days a week, and to do yeah. something in the week. Yeah. So for your career after football. And I remember we all did certain things. I think Endo what try to do the knowledge. I think Plums was I thought Hendo would have been tanning, would he not? Oh. <laughs> hey, it's a big boy. You're great now. You didn't say it last week, did you do it? So when you saw him. <laughs> well, no, because Kevin, Kevin, Kevin Mullen yeah, asked yeah. the tanning question. Big mistake, Fred. Big mistake. Um, I think Plums was doing his C-Mac for the mortgage advisor. And I went into a bit of plumbing with a good friend of mine. But training was so good. And we had such good fun that we were knocked on their trail, eh? We went to train. He brought such a team ethic into that team. Um, it was just amazing, amazing time. Uh, and it, it was great. You know, I just felt full of confidence, full of confidence. We all did. We all knew what we had to do. Yeah. He laid down markers. Mm-hmm. We knew we had to work hard. First and foremost, you know, you worked hard. And if you didn't, you didn't play. Simple as that. He used to test you in training. He used to make us do... Uh, uh, gym sessions in the showers, yeah. you know, in the change rooms. Showers on, press-ups. And certain players are going, no, I'm not, you know, I'm not getting wet. They never paid for us again. It was a t- test of character. You know, he wanted people that would run through great rules for him. Yeah. Um, really, really, the work ethic was massive to start with. That's all he said. All he kept saying was fans want to see work ethic and, and discipline and attitude. The rest will come. You know, his coaching was very, very good. Attention to detail was great, but he had that knack of getting the best out of all of us. Um, and he, he brought some good senior players. Endo was the best captain I've played under by a mile. And not just his ability on the pitch, but what he offered off the pitch in the change rooms. Yeah. Plums, Danny Maddox, you know, some real senior players mixed with the likes of Streds, um, Joey Gann, some of the younger ones. It was a great, great, great team. We were out most Wednesdays, that team. We were out quite regular. You know, one thing Martin made us do was stay in the in the bar after the game in a Durham suite. Yeah, and that made such a difference. I mean, that made such a difference because there was times when we had our bad games, but because the fans knew you on a personal level, they said sort of gave you a bit of slack. You know, they know it's not in our nature to be like that, and we just won them games. We built up such a rapport with everybody, and I think that's one trait that Martin has got over others. He galvanises football clubs. He really builds a buzz, um, and you could 
really see that when I joined the final. I've never had that sort of buzz like I had then. I think you can see that every time he's been back as well. It's been a fractured place and then within literally four or five days, bang, everyone's singing up the same song sheet again. Yeah, totally. It's, it's how he coaches you. He coaches you. You know what's needed and you know what you need to do to get in his team. If you're not willing to do it, you don't play. Simple as that. And if he, listen, if he didn't like you, you knew about it. Yeah? No, you mean, not the corners like that. If he liked you, though, he... He would offer, he'll give you everything. You mean everything, whatever you needed, he'll try and get. I, mean, I remember if, it was such a team effort that I think I won the player of the month a couple of times and the money I got we put into the pot. Yeah. It was like that. If we ever got anything, it was put in the pot for the team. Not about individuals, it was about the team. And I think that effort really helped going into the following season. If I remember rightly, right at the very beginning of the season, I think it was, or just before you started, didn't he get everybody together at his house? Yeah. Yeah, we, um, we had a pre we had a, one satellite was we went to his, his lovely house in sort of Reading, Archway, yeah. amazing house. Um, and he said, right, you've got to bring golf clubs, uh, and we'll stay the night, we'll do some training, we'll play golf, we'll have a few beers, we'll go out for the evening, and you'll leave Sunday morning. So I remember we've all turned up. It's a big house, don't get me wrong, but you're thinking there's, there's not 20 bedrooms in this house. There's a few, but not that many. Yeah. So we, um, we, we had a pre-season run to start with. We had some lovely woods behind his house. Yeah. We went for a lovely run. Well, me and Strove didn't think it was a lovely run. Me and, me and Strove were a good chat. Um, and then we, we had breakfast. Then he arranged golf for us. We all paid golf. Yeah. And then when we come back after golf, there was a barbecue going on. His wife and Wit and Damo, the physio and the assistant manager, doing the barbecue. And as we're doing that, we're playing pool games. There were certain games going on. Yeah. yeah. No matter who was going in which bed. And, uh, and somehow I come last. Fixed, <laughs> like you wouldn't believe. Still not having it. But anyway, I come last. And I was, uh, I was to sleep in the hammock outside. And listen, I'm not the bravest individual. I'm Italian. Come on. And uh, I remember sitting in his hammock. For night time, it must only be about oh, we just come back from going into a club, so it was about two o'clock in the morning, yeah. And I remember laying in this hammock, and everyone was still up. I could see some lights on, and there was this deer just walked past my hammock, it was massive. And listen, <laughs> no deer, the deer won't do nothing to you, that was enough for me. Um, yeah, I was knocking on that door like you wouldn't believe, and I think <laughs> I slept on the floor, but uh, but he that's what built that team effort straight away, from, yeah. You know, that was the first week. Yeah, that, that was actually one of the questions from, from Psycho, so you've answered that one for him. Um, were you a bit surprised, though, when Martin left at the time we did? Because we were right on the cusp of those playoffs. But to me, as a supporter, it looked like we were just losing our way a little bit. Um, I can see where you're coming from. I know what you mean, but teams with Martin will always have that second spurt again. You yeah. go for a spell, but you'll always do something. We're going to get a loan signing. You'll always, you know, Galvanise it again. We were, I was devastated. I'm not going to lie about it. I remember getting a phone call the night before it got announced from Martin to say, thanks for everything you've done for me. You know, I won't forget it. Uh, I've been given an opportunity to go to Brentford. Uh, and I remember we, I was just devastated. You know, I was at that time going through a barren spell as well, not scoring goals. Uh, and it was like, wow. And I remember thinking, if I'm honest, I think the whole change room was gutted. I think the whole club was gutted, fans included, because yeah. 
like you say, we, we got to a point, it was great fun. I mean, you organised player versus fans, matches on that Underhill. You know, we put fans and everything done. So I think it was a big, big loss. Uh, it affected me. I affected me for sure. Um, I think it affected a lot of people. But it was an opportunity you couldn't turn down. Brentford's you know, a big, big club. Uh, I know fans moan about him for leaving so many times that he has, but football is such a short career, especially management. Especially management. Um, and unfortunately, the budget's we have at Barnet, just, you know, you want to better yourself. You do as a footballer. You want to better yourself. You know, whether that's playing or managing. When I was at Peterborough, I often a five-year deal for Barry to stay. But I wanted to play championship football. And I signed for Swindon in the championship because I wanted to see how high. Yeah. So, and the money wasn't that far off. You know, but I've turned down five years and decent money to, to have a go and have a stab at championship football. So, it's the same as management. You're, in management, you're one day closer to getting sacked. Simple as that. And I remember people were telling me that when I first went into sort of coaching and managing. That's one thing you've got to remember. You're one, you're one, you know, you're one day closer to getting sacked. So yeah. when these opportunities were this, Brentford was a club. Um, they done really well, done it. You've turned them around as well. Yeah. Done really well. Yeah. Uh, question from James Castle around that little time as well. How did you cope psychologically with the dry spell in front of goal? 2003-04, nearly three months without scoring before that winner against Lee RMI. The relief you could see on your face was just palpable. That was down to Paul Fegler. Uh, Paul had come in at the time. Yes, yeah. And he brought in the psychologist. meant to go and see the psychologist that we had on at Stevenage yeah. the first time. Um, and I had some sessions with him. And yeah, that was uh, unbelievable. That's the most relief I've had from a goal. More than the Stevenage goal against Newcastle, I'm honest. That just really, really was just wow. Mm. And yeah, listen, Leah, people say it's only Leah and I, but for me, it could have been against Manchester United and care. Just so much relief. Um, yeah, just great game. I remember it, I think Hatchie, again, another assist from Hatchie for me, but he flicked it on. I don't think I even caught it well. In the, I remember during that period, uh, in one game in particular, cross come in, I was literally about three yards from goal, and I thought, "Here we go, this is it." I remember it come off my toe and went wide. I remember trying to blame the pitch, um, and that was the moment where I thought, "This is it. This I'm, I'm gone." I remember pulling Paul Fairclough to say, "Oh, you dropped me." Uh, I'd really like. I've gone. I've gone. Mentally, I've gone. You got yeah. to get some. Give someone a chance. I think I need a spell on the sidelines. You know. And he went, "No, no. You, you're going to score your goal, but you're going to." score, just keep getting those areas, you know, feed them with information and belief and the help I was getting through psychologists. Um, even Martin was calling me during that time, if I'm honest. You know, Martin was on the phone, making sure I was all right and those things, you know, it will come. Uh, and then obviously that eventful day, I think that got us into the playoffs, that win against Lee R and I. Yeah. that secured our place. Yeah, that's right, yeah. That was, yeah, that was a, yeah, I felt such relief that day, yeah. yeah. Ten games left then and Paul obviously came in with five to go. Um, was it something you felt was going to work well for Barnet, given the earlier impressions you've had with Paul at Stevenage? Yeah. If I'm honest, when he come in, he's the best manager we could have got. He knows non-league inside out. He knows the best players. He knows that level. He's won the league before. Obviously, he didn't go up yep. with Stevenage. Um, I knew how he worked previously. You know, it's... You know, it take, like I keep saying attention to detail methodical, great sessions. Um, and I, it, it was the right, right, right person for the job. I don't know who 
was at the time linked, but for me, it was the right decision. You know, uh, he bought a different, not not that season. Yeah. Um, he sort of left as it was. Yeah. Yeah. Did a few little bits, but the following season, you could really see his input. You know, it was amazing what he what he done. And uh, a question from that season from uh, from an ex beast keeper, Shane Gore. How good was Gorey in the 2003-04 player against Shrewsbury? Yeah, he was outstanding that day, wasn't he? He was, wasn't he? Yeah. Was, yeah. For someone who's five foot three, he um unbelievable keeper. Yeah, if he's living But yeah, that, that day he was it's an, he was a, he was a great teammate in the change rooms. He was fantastic, Gorey as well. Not just in goal, but in the change rooms, good fun, worked hard, good banter. But that that game, that day especially, was outstanding. Outstanding, outstanding. It certainly was. And then on to that season. That season, um, obviously I spoke with Hendo at length about it, but we're going to do it again. Um, Sun kissed Underhill, 14th of August. Two goals for you to kick off the season. And then obviously we went top at the end of August against um, uh, Canby Island, wasn't it? Canby away. Um, what was the belief like week on week for the players? Um, I think we'll go back to sort the pre-season, if I'm honest, to understand what Paul was really like. Um, in the off-season, players go and get, you do some runs in the off-season, get ready for the pre-season. Uh, as you get older, you've got to make sure you're, you're fit. Before you start back in the day, you could turn up three or four stone maybe, yeah. and lose it in maybe fine, but those days have long gone. So I remember we'd all, we'd all went on like long five-mile runs, and I remember we turned up for pre-season, I think the longest run we'd done was 45 seconds. You know, it was just football-specific. It was just unbelievable. Um, some of the tra- the uh, exercises we were doing, warm-up exercises and stretches, we looked like a, 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 a group of dancers from the Moulin Rouge and the things we were doing. You know, he had us swinging our legs here, there, and everywhere. It was all new stuff. And that's when I first realised that he'd gone away for a period of time and travelled the world, worked with different coaches, worked with Arsene Wenger. Because every sort of session and every sort of, Oh, exercise we've done was different to what we've ever ever experienced and I remember other clubs watching us in the warm-up before game staring at us watching what we're doing but as if but laughing at what some of the stretches we're doing but six months a year later they're all doing it you know he was ahead of his time um, brought the psychological side into the in, into the team we had lots, lots of classroom sessions which was different to what we're used to you know, you're used to a team talk uh, on the Friday, usually, before the Saturday team, the team is, how we're going to play. But this was daily. You know, you're given exercise books. You get to write bits and you know, bits down. He was a school teacher, so he used that to his uh, advantage. Yeah. And some players bought into it. And that season, we did. We really did. Uh, one thing he did do was, I think he realised where we were lacking as a team from the following season. I think he, he realised... Heavily reliant on, not heavily, but reliant on the goals I scored. And when I went through that barren patch, it wasn't great. So he uh, he went out and bought some good, good players. You know, really good players. Richie Graham, Dean Sinclair, Nicky Bailey, Dwayne Lee. You know, moving Simon King to centre-half. And yeah. who would have thought Christie was the left-back that he was? Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. So he had goals in the team. We had goals everywhere that season. Apart everywhere. Yeah, but just the airport. <laughs> um, but he, uh, and that's where you notice the, the, the difference in what we had. We still had that ethos of working hard because we had senior players in the team, 
Yeah. When, when you've got a captain, a leader like Endo, you, you best run around. Because if he didn't, he, you, you found out that you weren't working hard enough. Um, and that's what you need. And I think that's lacking in the game today. I don't think you get players like Ian Endon and Chris Plummer no more. No. Who, who want it, the winners, leaders. There's not many leaders out there at the minute like, like, like they were. Uh, <clears throat> then we had the infamous 10-1 thrashing of Arsenal um, in pre-season. I think we got beat up by Boreham in pre-season as well. They kicked us off the park. And if I'm honest, we weren't going into the season full of confidence. No. If I'm being brutally honest, I don't think we were. It wasn't until the, the, the Canby Island game probably yeah. But even then, it still wasn't for me. It wasn't enough for me. Halifax was a, a game where we realised we had characters in the team away at Halifax. Uh, but even then, that was still early on in the season. Uh, I knew we had goals in us, but I still wasn't sure. Uh, it wasn't until, to, for me, we played Crawley away. Yeah. And I remember, I remember I come off off about 80 or Yeah. I remember sitting there thinking, oh, we are a good side. We were just fit, quick, played. Our football we played was, the tempo was fantastic. Yep. We were sitting there going, we are, we are good. We are really good. Um, but yeah, listen, Candy was great. Cause we, that's the, the day we, uh, I think Sink scored, didn't he? Dean yeah, Sinclair Sink scored. scored 1-0, yeah, right in front of us, yeah. And, uh, we stayed in the top and we stayed there ever since. Yeah. Um, I mean, as it was, the game I thought, which stood out and thought we were going to do it, and I said the same to Hendo as well, was a game against Morecambe, where we went 1-0 down, and then motor passed him with five goals, as if, yeah. but we blew them away as if, we were, as if they weren't there. As we went one down, and then bang, right, let's put it in gear, and off we went. Um, and one of my mates had said to me the week before, actually, after the Canby game, um, you know, we went top. He said, I think you're going to win this. And uh, I said, no, I'm not quite, not quite convinced yet. And then I'm sure the Morgan game was only a week or two afterwards. Um, and just watching that, I thought, yeah, we are going to do this. You can see it, that there was just something there that clicked for me that day. And, you know, we're only talking yeah. September. Um, but then I also looked at when we went to Exeter as well. Um, missing yeah. yourselves, Hendo, no senior players out there. Dwayne Lee was the oldest at 25. And we blew them away. They were, they were up there, playoff contenders. Um, we, were, we were so dynamic as a yeah, team. Yeah. So it was when we were on it, they could, teams could leave us. Even if we went to go down, yeah. we never feared losing the game. We always knew someone would come up, whether it be Richie Graham, whether it would be uh, Simon King doing something, or a team team. We knew someone in that team would do something. And they did. And it was the only thing that was missing really the year before was those goals from midfield, the Nicky yeah. Bailey's, Dean Sinclair's, um, the creativity, as you say, from Richie Graham as well, yeah. were literally the only things that were missing from that year before. And Paul identified exactly what we needed. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, I, I had the Crawley game on my standout list. Um, Lee RMI away as well. Obviously, Farnborough at home, seven, seven goals past the, the one-time B2B. Jake Cole, um, you know, Carlisle at home as well, you know, still showed the character with that 94th minute overhead kick from you that, you know, you weren't going to take games lying down. Yeah, no, but listen, like I said, I think the one discipline was Burton at home. I think it was the couple of days before, I think Brian Clough died. Yes, it was, yeah. And yeah. Was and, um, 
was a real fun evening. I think we were going to yes. go up as well, but it was a real, real, I don't know, we just went ourselves that night. So, um, and we had a few games like that where just a bit dull. We, there was no sort of dynamism in our, in our team. But bearing in mind, we'd never got no lone players. You know, no. we had a squad that year. Yeah. You know, and, and Paul done it all by himself. No assistant. No, he didn't. No. Yeah. So, to go through that whole season, and bear in mind where we trained. We trained on the back of first field, on the yeah. pitches there with their dogs. You know, we had no training facility. You know, we didn't, some days we didn't know whether we could go in the gym because we didn't know whether Tony Clamp was paid the bill or not. You know, so, you know, some days we were pulled, no, no, you can't come in today, waiting for the invoice to be paid. You know, really? But we were out, I mean, we didn't have goals. Our goals were poles on the ground. You know, I remember the end of that season, I remember Paul asking the squad, what would you like next year on the training ground? We said, like, some proper goals. He went, why do you want them for? You scored 100 odd when we had pole. So it doesn't matter. And he's right. You know, it's, it, it, was, it was spot on. Um, but yeah, so we trained. Yeah, but the sessions, you know, we, we had the, that's when Paul introduced the, the ice baths. Yeah. Of the training sessions. You know, it was the first time they come about. Well, pad, there was paddling pools getting filled up from the vice. Like, what what's all this about? Yeah, in you go, two minutes. Um, <laughs> uh, but great. It worked, recovery, it was, and that's what we needed because the squad was so small. Yeah. We needed all of them. And that was down to Paul, you know, his, his methods and, you know, he, he was way, like oh, I've always said, he was way ahead. You know, I just wish I had a manager sort of that in depth early on in my career, if I'm honest. Yeah. Because uh, scientifically, it was on point for me at that oh. time. Okay, right. Yeah. Another one from Psycho. What was the best goal you scored for the Bees? His favourite was your 40-yarder at Halifax. Which obviously set us on the back on the way from being two 0 down. In ter- best goal in terms of the the quality of the goal, or up to you. Up to you. Pick both if you want. Obviously, the Halifax goal I like because it was two 0 down and the winner. Yeah. If I'm honest, technically I like the goal at Crawley away because um, I actually meant what I wanted to do. Um, I like that one. Halifax at home, yeah, wasn't a great goal, but it meant in my mind that we were three one up now, and that was the end of we going to win the league. Yeah, yeah. And then you got the Carlisle one, where it was just, although it didn't mean anything, it meant for us as a team to to not lose that game against them. Yeah, meant a lot to the supporters as well. Underhills packed, and to do it so late in the game was just yeah, it was unbelievable. It was that. So in terms of quality, I probably we say Halifax, I'd say that only because when I watch it back, I think the commentator says he's not heard any me yet. I've not touched the ball, and that's probably my career. Um, and that sort of me is quite funny seeing that he's literally saying that, and I scored sort of five seconds after. So that one probably, but if I'm honest, the Halifax at home for me meant so much. I've never won nothing in my football career, so that was meant a lot to me to be actually be a winner. Okay. Right, I'll pick out another question as well. This one comes from um, another another form of B as well, Ben Strevens. Um, who's the best striker you played with? But be careful. Well, Barnett or at, at Barnett? Barnett, yeah. or... at Barnett, Barnett. Yeah. Listen, Strevens good. I'm not going to lie, Strevens is a great player. Uh, they're all different attributes. See, I like Peter B. I thought Beads was a as a centre forward. He was very good. Yeah, good for him. Yeah. Um, yeah, for me, Achi obviously, Achi used to put his head 
in, in all sorts of places. You know, he's the only man I know that win a flick on and chase it and win his own flick on. Yeah. You know, it, there's a saying: he'll, he'll chase a turd on the string around the pitch. He would. <laughs> he'll just run, he'll just run and run that boy. He was he was good to work with. But Strez was Strez was different than Strez was a footballer. You know, a proper proper footballer. Uh, technically unbelievable uh, but more importantly a great lad the nicest man in football I've met a real genuine individual uh, and I really hope he does well in his managerial career he's, he's a real good guy real good family but a, a real good guy so what's the answer? <laughs> <laughs> depends on who we're playing depends on who we're playing Alright, so I, 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 I've got to put technically, obviously, it's got to be Shreds. Yeah. But in terms of the perfect foil for me, Hatchy was just because he won a hell of a lot of click-ons. Yeah. You know, and um, my game was always playing on the shoulder, the yeah. up half, and and timing those runs in behind. And I knew Hatchy would win every header. I knew he would. I didn't know where he was going to head it. Well, but no, yeah, yeah. He'd win. You know, if win the header um, and like I said he used to he used to get he'd take all the hits you know come off with eyes out here yeah. and you know one game he got so many hits he looked like the orc at Lord of the Rings he, um, you know he was getting elbowed and you know so perfect for me let's just stay away from me and he used to get all the he'd put his head in the stupid things like what are you doing like, you're never going to win that but he'll stick his head in it like, man that's fuck. For me, the perfect foil for me, if I'm Okay. Um, obviously, a lot of the younger players looked up to the likes of you and Hendo um, and um, and Danny Maddox, um, who was obviously around that time. You know, given most of the players that season as well were at that level for the first time in their career. Yeah, they were. But you know what? They were, they were the right characters. Sometimes you get players dropping down that level and they're there just to pick up a bit of money. You know, they're not going to influence the team. It's the last little hooray. But he, we didn't have that. Like I said, Endo wouldn't allow anything like that on the pitch. Chris Plummer, the same. Danny Maddox, the same. You know, proper professionals. Um, and that's why Martin brought us in, I think. He knew we weren't there just for the... Martin, yeah. Martin wouldn't allow it either. You know, it wasn't allowed. We, Endo set the tone. In the, I mean, don't get me wrong. The managers have done well. They do well preparing you but once you cross that white line you know it's left to your devices uh, that's when you need leaders on the pitch and that's where Endo come out as, as maybe the best captain I've played under because you know he organised everything on that pitch you know he he used to torment the opposing fans torment the, the opposing players he used to really wind them up and that was half the battle after you know some of the things he used to do uh you know, great, great time. And then obviously 2005-2006, back in the Football League. Um, what do you think was in Paul's thinking, would you say, to change our playing style? Cautious that we maybe couldn't replicate the way we played um, in League Two the year before? You know what? If, if I'm honest, I think, I think Chelsea won the league that year with Drogba playing down the middle. Yeah. Um, I think they were sort of the first side to change the formation. Everyone was 4-4-2, but Chelsea went with Drogba down the middle, Robin and Duff, I think. Yeah. And it, and it worked for Chelsea because you've got someone like Drogba down the middle. Who, you know, playing that lone role is, is a hard thing. You've got to be good at it. And 
you know, you, you know my game. I'm heavily reliant on my teammates. You know, I'm never going to dribble past people. I'm not going to hit things for 30 yards. That's not my game. I rely on service. I rely on a strike partner. So it was never, ever going to work um, for me. But, again, like I've always said, I, I won't ever go against the manager. I'll work harder what he wants me to do. But it just didn't fit my style. And if I'm honest, I think that the, the formation was chosen to uh, accommodate the three midfielders that we had. You know, to put that Nicky Bailey, Dean Sinclair, and Dwayne Lee as a three midfielder, yeah. some midfield. Yeah. So I think it was to accommodate those. And who wouldn't? You know, unbelievable footballers. Um, and it just, like I said, the role just didn't work for me. But as a team, the better set of down the middle probably would work because those three midfield were. But you look at that, and then you had Strez on the right, and even Richie Graham didn't really do as much as he did the year before. No. Yeah. Playing where he was. It sort of. I got annoyed because Carlisle went up the following year, yeah. kept sort of the same side, and they jumped up on again. Yeah. And I'd like to have seen what we would have done if we kept the same sort of style. And it, but listen, it's hindsight, isn't it? We'll never know. But but Paul was always thinking ahead. He was yeah. always thinking ahead and what's going to work. And like I said, it just is a formation that I, I feel just didn't work work for me. But that's it. That's football. Right, that was who for two with that question. Although mine was pretty similar. Um, we started quite well with three wins from the first six. Yeah, but Northampton, I was thinking, you know, when we got that late, when the lights went out and everything, I thought, oh, well, you know, actually, I think we might, yeah, do quite well. Um, and then it just seemed to fall apart a little bit in the league. Then, what do you think happened? What would you put your finger on? There was nothing going on in the change rooms. You know, we still had the players. It's, like I said, it's probably change formation might have had something to do with it. You know, when you're not familiar to playing those roles. You know, we had some young players in that team who've just come out of sort of academy football, like yeah. Dean Sinclair and Dickie Bailey. So we're learning the game. And you know, you're playing against experienced pros at the time in, in League Two. Um, and like I said, I'd like to have had the opportunity to keep the side that we have. We all knew our roles. We all knew what to do. Um, and it went, like I said, there was nothing going on off the pitch. It was just, you know, we probably weren't good enough at the time you know, and then once you're losing like winning's a habit but so is losing sometimes and you know you, you start putting pressure on yourself you go into games you've lost the last three and you know psychologically you know it's, it's against you so um, but then we had the, the lead up with the Man United game didn't we, in that season as well I was just about to come to so that. that took that took a lot away from the league performances I'd say you know Man United away was a big big game for the club um, so maybe our attention had gone elsewhere. I know it did a few weeks leading up to it. You could see performances weren't great at all. Um, I think we all wanted to be fit for the game and not get injured. Um, but luckily, there was nothing, like I said, nothing off the pitch that was going on that caused uh, like the poor performances. I mean, I spoke to um, Ross Flitney earlier earlier this year um, down at Eastley, obviously, when I spoke to Strebs, um, and I was having a quick chat with Ross afterwards and obviously asked him about the time you know when he was there which was exactly that season um, and he himself said that he possibly didn't make enough of the situation that he had he wasn't mature enough um, to sort of understand the opportunity that Paul had put in front of him after his release from Fulham I agree with that totally Ross was a good keeper um, where Ross lost it was mentally I don't think he was prepared he said, enough yeah. um, I mean I've I, openly told him that myself when he was at the club. He had all the attributes. He had all the attributes to be a great keeper. 
but he let himself down with certain things he'd done. Um, when he made a mistake, he, he let it affect him. Uh, you can't do that as a keeper. You know, mm. like I said, the first club coming away from Fulham. You know, a big jump for these for these these young kids. Yeah, and and I'm surprised really because Paul pretty be the ideal manager for him as well because Paul never ro- rollicked anyone. He never gave you a, a, a bullet. You know, like that. He never did. He was always positive. You know, we'd get beat four or five nil in the game, and previous managers they wouldn't even say nothing. They'll come in and say, "See you tomorrow morning, seven o'clock training field, running." You know, you just expected it. But with Paul, Paul would turn into a positive. In the last 15 minutes, boys, you play like that. Next week, we're fine. I remember people like me and Ender would look at each other and go, he's off his head. That's crazy. We should be getting a rollicking. Because we're used to, you know, teammates getting pinned up against the wall. We yeah. got beat four or five years. Never did that. And the only thing I'd say about that is some of the younger players didn't probably hurt enough when they lost because of it. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, when, when we played, you got a rollicking, you it affected you on a Saturday night you didn't go out because you're thinking oh god we were so bad but coming in the change rooms when Paul was there being told that we were really good for 15 minutes some of the young players probably thought oh that's alright so he's trying to find that fine balance I can see what he's trying to do you know I can see what he's trying to do but I think some some players needed just that little bit more of a, a kick and you could really see Endo sometimes in the corner ready to explode yeah. <laughs> Paul would just and that's I think that's where you work with Wenger you know Arsene Wenger's never been that tight you know never ever shout at anybody I think Pat Rice's assistant was always ready to go in and yeah. you know yeah. blow his top and everyone no no but one thing Paul was good at he after games he, he never really got into the game situation he'd wait he'd watch the game back over the weekend and then we'd watch it on the Monday and, and sometimes you're right you see things differently when you watch it back yeah. Sometimes you think we played well, you watch it back and pull oh, out terrible, and vice versa. So, he's, what, he, what he did was, was right in, in that instant. There's certain times I thought we, we needed to be told in no uncertain terms that that wasn't good enough. But cup games that season were um, something else. Obviously, just alluded to the Manchester United game. Um, Bristol City away in the League Cup. Fantastic solo goal from Nicky Bailey, the one four we got. Um, Plymouth at home. I wasn't expecting us to win that one, but we played out of our skins again that night. And then we got to draw Manchester United. You couldn't couldn't ask for a bigger club than back at that time, 15 years yeah, ago. Was, uh, the Plymouth game was a big game for us. They, they were championship at the time. I think yep, they were, yeah. yeah. Rebo West was set at half. He was about 52. Was. Yeah. Um, and I remember we played, and I think the draw was a following night. And... It's just, you know, as a player, the pinnacle is, is Man United away, whoever you support. You know, you want to play Old Trafford. Um, I've missed out, obviously, Newcastle, Yeah. you know, some seven years earlier. So, you, you in your head, you think, this is the one opportunity. What, what, a, what a time and what a place to go and play your football. Um, and it was amazing, you know. It was, just yeah. The lead up to it. And then... Um, Obviously, what happened to Paul Ross at the time? Everyone, everyone, everyone talked about Ross. They feel sorry for him. What Luis Suarez, Luis Torres, who come off, yeah. you know, for him. Yeah, he was sort of forgot that. Yeah. You know, poor kid. He was only a young player, and he had to come off. Twenty-one, yeah. Put us. Oh, you know, how unfortunate for him. But everyone talks about the keeper, how you know upsetting it was. Like, wow, that, 
Louis Soares was devastating for Kim. So. Uh, obviously, the good thing as well is always on the big games, though, Barnet fans come out. I mean, there must have been, I reckon, 5,000 of us up in that top tier singing away for the entire 90 minutes. I remember having a sore throat the next day. Um, and um, I suppose, really, it kind of culminated on the icing of a fabulous 12 months for you guys as a team. What's that, sorry? So it sort of culminated in on the icing on, a, on the cake for a fabulous 12 months for the whole team as a, as a set of players. Yeah, it was. And it's a great highlight for me because it's my 100th game for Barnet as well. So my 100th game to be at Old Trafford was, was great for me. Um, but yeah, great, great occasion. You know, um, fans come in their droves. You know, it wasn't even a, it was a Tuesday night game, was it? Tuesday or Wednesday night game? Wednesday night, yeah, Wednesday. So it's a long way to go on a Wednesday night. But, you know, thousands turned up, it's great. Um, obviously, it didn't work, it didn't, it didn't happen for us on the night, but we put in a little performance with, with 10 men. Yeah, and we scored. Yeah, we great goal by Dino. Was great goal for Dino, yeah, rounding the goalkeeper. But I, I remember at half time telling Strebs, I said, I've not touched the ball. I have not touched the ball. I need to take centre. I said, so yeah. when I get a chance, I'm going to have a shot wherever I am. He went, don't be serious. I am because I'm not touching the ball. And I remember literally a few pass, passes and it popped up to me about 50 yards out and I tried a volley yeah. and he went nowhere. And I remember straight looking at me going, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't touch the ball. I was running around like Edwin's chicken. At that time, the centre half was PK. Yes, it was. Yeah. 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 I would have been like, climbing all over me. And my kids think it's the only time they think I'm a hero because I played against PK. Um, <laughs> you know, in their eyes, I did, did nothing but play against PK. My came to fame. Bless them. Right, back to the league. Obviously, the results, though, they didn't really Im- improve that much as well. And noticing looking through the results again as well, there weren't as many goals going in. Not there was, you know, I think we scored only three on one or two occasions and rarely did we get. Two, do you think that cautious style of, of one up top was kind of truncating that a little bit for us? It's a difficult one. This is probably a, a podcast you want to ask Paul what his methods were and what he was thinking. Because, like I say, as, as, as players, you go on the pitch and do what you're told. Um, it was just a, an idea that he had and wanted to stick with. Like I said, when you've got Dwayne, Dino and Nicky Baby in that midfield. Um, who are you going to drop mm. to go back? And I think that was in Paul's head a lot. You know, good players. And they offered you lots in that midfield, but it, it just didn't, to me, I just didn't think it fit the dynamics of that side that we had. But Paul stuck to it, you know, like, like they do. And I think, didn't we play the Rushton away to stay up? Yeah, last game of the season, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so who would have thought that after the start we had? We, you know, we really dropped down um, to, to, thankfully, that last game of the season. I think results went away anyway, but uh, we still had to go into it knowing that we needed to win. I would think as, as well, some of the, the signings we made maybe weren't quite as strong as maybe we really needed if we were going to push on that season. Um, Jason Norville, Louis Suarez, as you mentioned, Ben Bowditch, Damian Batt possibly bulked the squad out a little bit, but didn't quite, they weren't pushing you guys for a first team place enough. Damien Bat was the season before, but he paid for us in the championship season. Oh, he did, didn't he? Yeah, sorry, yeah. My apologies. Yeah. But, um, 
you know who come in in the summer. Yeah, just didn't, listen, you've you got to be lucky with, with signings, especially at a club like Barnet. You know, your budget constraints are really tight. So you've got to be very, very lucky. Um, and it just didn't, it just didn't work. It just didn't, just didn't happen for us. Uh, but we, we didn't change the formation. It, it stayed as it was. And fortunately, yes, that was it. And they, we, it was just like a bit of a demise. Obviously, there were a few uh, extra signings that came into the mix. Trezor Candle, Paolo Vanazza yeah. came in for a little bit. Obviously, good pedigree Paolo got. Andy Hessen-Tyler, Paul Warhurst. Um, and then from, ex from Christmas onwards, Paul seemed to realise that we needed to play two up top to start getting some bits out of games. Yeah, Trezor was a great star. I think Trezor, great player. Yeah. He, had, he, had, he had every attribute. Um, he went on to Leeds, didn't he go to Leeds and Championship? He went on to Leeds, yeah. yeah. Um, another one I think he, he should have gone and done more, should have gone higher than that. Because he had, he had everything, Trezor. He had pace, strength, good size. A real handful, you know, good, good centre. When he came in, I thought, well, this is the player we needed for sure. Yeah. Um, Paolo Vanazza, yeah, really technically very, very good. Yeah. Then you had the German, Hesse, who brought some leadership, <laughs> in, not only on the pitch, but to... Uh, on the on the training field as well in the change rooms, um, he's the fittest man I've ever seen. Do you know what everyone even said? At, that even everyone. I remember one pre-season we used to do this run, and he was unbelievable. And he was like what sixty-one then, something like that. <laughs> um, he was uh, fit as a fiddle, and he would stop with that one endurance on battery. He'd just keep going on and on and on. Um, I remember one. I remember one, one game. I think it was, he got the ball at the edge of the hill going down the hill and he ran all the way and got to the edge of our box yeah. and went to shoot and I think he caught his left foot before the right foot. I so remember he, that, yeah, yeah. There was, a, there was a big roar from the fans and I remember he just got up and laughed but then you know, you see him just sprinting back. He was just a machine, absolute machine. And, and players, yeah. we, need, we need that sort of leadership back in again. Yeah, yeah. Because we have good young players coming through and they need that guidance um, I mean I know Hesse puts his down to I think when he was playing part time football he worked as a hod carrier so yeah. all that strength of backwards and forwards up and down and everything I know it's why he's put a lot of it down um, I remember seeing him playing the Dartford back back way in the day before he got his move to Watford I think it was um, yeah. and then but yeah he's been a great pro great pro all the way through yeah good point um, and obviously, you spent a bit of time out injured that season as well. With a hat, you broke your hand. Um, obviously, with the team struggling and yourself struggling a little bit, were you sort of thinking that with Trevor coming in, Jason Norville up there as well, we still got Hatchie, we got Strevs. Um, were you worried about you wouldn't get back into the team once you were fit? Yes, yeah. uh, I can put it. I, I knew my time was up. So I got, I got, I got. After the first season, I signed. Um, I turned down going somewhere. Barnet tried to sell me to a non-league club, and then the, the year we won the league, a club put an offer in, and they, want, they were going to sell me. And I thought it's a bit strange. I mean, why are they trying to get rid of me? Yeah, I don't want to leave. I'm happy. There was one offer um, from a northern club in League One at the time that came in that offered me ridiculous money. And I remember thinking, I've just, I've just got married and I've got a baby on the way. Why am I going to, I'm the happiest I've ever been in football. 
I'm at home where I've brought up, I've got family and friends, or great team. So why am I going to move? But I always had that thing in my mind that, I mean, I signed a big deal when I was, when we won the league. Um, we won the league, and I remember going to see Tony to say, I want a new deal. Um, and, and they were probably a bit reluctant to give me what I wanted. Um, probably Paul as well, for, for, the, for the money I asked for. Yeah. Um, um, and I probably feel they sort of grudged me having that. And I just felt a bit of it wasn't the same at all, even if I just didn't think it was the same. Um, but I just thought that's what I was worth. I know what people offer me uh, at other clubs. And the season I had, like, like Martin moving on when clubs come in, football such a short career. And I've never been that sort of player to request moves and want more money. But I just felt at the time, I was 30 years old. I only had a year left. I wanted some security. I was getting married. Just got married, sorry. A bit more security. And I remember Tony offered me a deal. And I remember saying no to it. It's not what I want. I want X amount. And I remember getting a phone call to say it's on Sky Sports News that you've agreed a new deal. I haven't agreed anything. You know, Tony's made me go to Alfresco for, for a meal and then come back to the club. Yeah. So I haven't agreed anything. So because he announced that he'd signed it, I remember going back saying, I'm not signing that. He went, I've told everybody now. Not my problem. <laughs> you know, I'm not signing it. It's not the grill we agreed. He said, but I've told everyone. Not my, again, not my problem. I said, you better tell them that it's not been agreed because it's not real. So his sort of hands were tied in the end that I had to get what I'd asked for. And seriously, from that moment, it was, if I'm honest, I could really tell it, it was a bit different to what it was the two seasons before. Yeah. You know, again, no disrespect to some of the teammates that this is going to sound really big-headed, but some of the, the, some of the players that we brought in that got given games, I mean, lots of games ahead of me without scoring. And when I got the opportunity, it was if I didn't, I was going into games thinking I need to score to stay in the team. And as I said, the forwards, you can't have that. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got to be free. And I remember I'd play a game here, then I'd get dropped again. And then that player would come in and play five or six. Not scoring yeah, maybe he was offering more to the team. But as a player, you know, things like Trezor Candle, definitely, he was a player. He was, for me, a great player. Some of the others, you know, you think, really? Mm. I knew that. They were I mean, I got, they tried to send out a loan a few times uh, to clubs because they wanted me off the wage bill and, and, and out. And I'm like, no, I still think I'm good enough to play in, in this team. Yeah. I'm not playing, but I'm just not going alone. I, just, I, I, I want to be here. This is the club I want to play for. If I felt I was nowhere near the team, and, you know, well away, I always thought I'd have a chance, but it just it never materialised. And, uh, yeah, unfortunately, that was... It didn't end that well for me. That season. 2006, 2007. Yeah. We have an injury hit season again for you. Um, obviously, we spoke about it on Thursday night. It was more niggles than, than anything else. Um, but for the club itself, it was a safe season. Finishing 14th, strong at Underhill. Um, not quite so strong away from home. What do you think sort of changed in that sort of dynamic from struggling against relegation one year to being really, really comfortable? Probably a bit of experience with some of the younger players that we had. Yeah. A bit of game now. Um, one of the big things that, that players you can't coach is that, that game now. You know, that when you're in a game and you're winning 1-0, not making those runs forward and protecting leads. And you only learn that through playing lots of football. 
and I think some of the younger players really, you know, their game awareness really improved. You know, and Nicky Bailey especially, you know, their their roles really, really improved. You know, everything. Kingy got more experience. Yaks more experience. Just a lot. A lot. I said. I think it was just that first year, new new season, new league, took us a bit of a shock. I'd say. Um, but we recouped and lots of experience plays a big part. And that season as well, Paul brought in Magno Vieira, Adam Birchall, Ollie Allen, Hatchy was still there, Trezor Candle was there. How does that affect your thinking as a striker when you see so many new strikers coming in as well? That tells you everything, doesn't it? You know, when managers sign the strikers there, you know, your time's up. Um, listen, I'll, in my eyes, I was a good pro. I worked hard in training. Um, never tossed anything off. Always turned up early. Never late. Done extra. It just wasn't enough to try and get myself back in the side. Um, like I said earlier, there were certain players that I felt shouldn't. I mean, I, I felt I should have been ahead them or given a chance. Yeah. And, and my chances were down to when people were injured. Um, but listen, football is part of life. You need to get on with it. Listen, like I said, I was, luckily I was home. I was with family and friends. So it didn't affect me that much. You just, for your own self, you know, to, to, to have that demise from being such a high to, to come in a real low and a real demise. It wasn't nice, if I'm honest. But luckily, you know, the fans were always great. One thing I can say, they were always, 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 always great to me. You know, I can't complain about that. And, um, you know, it's just how it, how it works. 